Are you ready to take your writing to the next level? Then welcome to the Book Editor Show. Join Clark Chamberlain and Peter Turley each week as they teach you all the tips, tools, and techniques you need to move your book from manuscript to market. Visit thebookeditorshow.com for show notes, links to guests, books, and extras to make your old novel better than ever. Now, please welcome Clark Chamberlain and Peter Turley. Welcome to the Book Editor Show. I'm Clark Chamberlain. You've heard the rumors, and now it's time to know the truth. Yes, he once scaled the Empire State Building while editing an academic version of Fifty Shades of Grey. He's my friend and co-host, Peter Turley. Peter, how are you doing today? You know the academic version is the original. That's a little-known fact. I, I didn't know that. That is interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm just great. How are you doing, Clark? I'm doing very well. How's your week been? It's been good. It's been a really good week, yeah. Um, lots of lots of work, um, and it's it's only Tuesday, <laughs> so we're off to we're off to a good start, I think. So you're back uh, back going full full bore on the on the classes again now, right? Yes, yes. It's a it's a, it's a new bunch of classes, so um, picking up lots of lots of new stuff, but off to a running start. It's good fun. Well, that is good fun. Um, talking about classes. Uh, last night, uh, so I'm teaching one uh, at the community college here on short story writing, and we were talking about word choice last night. And, uh, you know, you can have words that sound very harsh, words that sound soft, ones that sound big, ones that sound small. And so that type of stuff is important. Well, I read an article when I was doing my research to prepare for the class that said that cellar door is the most pleasant phrase that can be said in the English language, especially when combined with a British accent. So, Peter, I want you to, to make us feel pleasant. <laughs> is it is it because um, people are often talking about maybe like a wine cellar? So <laughs> so generally the, uh, the it's a good conversation. <laughs> Perhaps it is because there is that part you know like uh, on on word choices like that. You know we talked about the difference between home and house. Like home has all this additional connotation to it, where house just sounds like a building that you happen to live in. So yeah, it could. Although um, there was uh, there was one woman who was like, "Cellar door? That sounds terrible." Because my dad used to take me down and beat me in the cellar. So, <laughs> but I guess it depends on the associations you've made. Okay, so we'll give this a go. Okay, so cellar door. Hmm. I I do. Cellar I'm door. feeling better already. Like I had to get do that as a ringtone. <laughs> I guess well, it depends. Accents. Um, very so, like so widely across um, like different regions in England. Like you can literally go ten minutes down the road and someone speaking with an entirely different accent. Yeah, um, that's really that's really. And they might not have a cellar. So <laughs> <laughs> I um and I can't recall off the top of my head the the website, but if you look it up, there's one where they've done a map and you can listen to people saying the same types of words in different dialects in English. It's really interesting how how our language is formed, and it's a big part of writing. Um, it is. So, I think that it, it especially um, if you if you can add that kind of poetic sort of cadence to, to to prose. I'm not not saying like you should try to do that, but it but it is there, isn't it? And you do you do subtly pick up on it. 
Uh, I'm not saying to forcibly inject that in, into your writing, but like you say, some some sentences just sound better than others. <laughs> oh, they absolutely do. So they really do. And um, actually, uh, after doing teaching this class, I'm, I'm really excited because I'm going to do it online as well. But there's a couple parts in there I really want to hit on the the book editor show one of these times. So we'll do that in a future one. Today we're talking all about developmental and structure editing. And to do this, we've brought in a special guest, Leslie Watts from Writership.org. Leslie is an editor, author, blogger, and podcaster at Writership.org. She's been writing for as long as she can remember. She created a magazine about cats in sixth grade with a small but enthusiastic readership. She was a staff writer for her school newspaper in college and editor-in-chief of her law journal. After law school, she worked as a staff attorney for an appellate judge, but also wrote on the side. When her first child was born, she became a full-time mom, and when the dust settled, started writership with Alyssa Archer. She lives in Austin, Texas, with two rambunctious kids and her generous and patient husband. I'm really glad to have you on the show today. Um, Writership.org, you guys came out about the same time that we did. You guys have been on the air for about a year now, right? Um, yeah, just about um, the, our uh, podcast, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, should I talk about the what we do? Yeah, tell us more about what you do there at Writership. Okay. So our, our focus on the podcast is um, is also editing. Um, we have a, a kind of, ex, it's an experiential uh, mode where we get five-page submissions from fiction authors, and it can be a short story, novel, um, anything in between, all genres, and we critique five pages from from the work and we'll talk about structure a little bit as much as you can in five pages and then we also do some line editing we talk about it um, what um, suggestions we would make and then we have an editorial mission at the end of the show so people can apply something we've talked about it's it's very cool and I'm also very jealous because Peter and I have tried for a long time and we've only been able to get one gentleman to submit his work so that we could do some on-air editing. I think it's very cool to be able to do that and break it down. And I like on your on your um, web page where you've got your show notes and you've gone in and actually underlined you know and you've you've made the notes and people can visually see it as well of what you've done to change in the edit process. It's very cool. Yeah, it's been really fun. We're um we're really um, well. We're we're careful. I mean, and we're conscientious. So, um, which is not to say that you're not. <laughs> but, but like this is, you know, we set out. Like we set out. This was our. <laughs> this was our format, uh, and so it's kind of you know what we set out to do. If nobody showed up, then it wouldn't it wouldn't work, obviously. But um, but it's really fun because we get a lot of different stuff and we have um, we had people who are just at the very beginning and we've had people who are more established authors and um, and everybody is like oh wow you pointed out something that I never knew was in my writing and thank you and um, and some people I, we have a great review that I'm so I love that is just like I don't always agree with these two but they always make <laughs> me think so <laughs> that's pretty high praise <laughs> that is you know and it's important it's amazing honestly like when you can have a fresh set of eyes take a look at your work and you get totally different perspectives out of it than what you've been able to come at on your own yeah yeah I mean 
I have the same experience when um, when I you know I think oh this is really clean and I've you know I've edited the heck out of it um, and then Alyssa my partner will look at it and she'll be like uh, you've got an echo here Leslie <laughs> or whatever <laughs> you know that um, that yeah that you just you can't see because you are part of it you're in it and so yeah so uh, you like when I gave your very incorrect name with your wonderful bio <laughs> um, how did you get I mean you look like you're on track for writing and then all of a sudden you know you're, you're over there doing law and now you're back to doing writing what was that that journey like um, that was really interesting. So, um, uh, I'm wondering how much it people want to know. Um, that I had an experience when I was 13 um, where I participated in a court case, um, and it really touched me. And it, you know, like it was a it was a deep experience, and um, and I decided that I should probably go. Um, go be a lawyer and I so I made that decision then and I just kind of went with that um, and then when I um, I loved my work I got to write a lot um, which was awesome working at the um, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals and um, that was fun but it didn't like you know it didn't fulfill certain parts and it was all about really you know bad stuff you know, by the time you're calling lawyers in, things have gone pretty badly, especially in criminal law. Um, and um, so I was doing creative writing on the side, but then when my son was born and I just couldn't, I couldn't meld those two worlds anymore, um, then I, you know, then I was just writing on my own and then Alyssa had the idea for starting writership and um, and so that just... You know, it was like, um, you know, it was, what do I want to say? It's like a St. Bernard living in Austin, Texas in, in July, and suddenly he gets to move to the Arctic, and he's so happy because <laughs> he's found his element. <laughs> <laughs> so it came just at the right time then. Yes, <laughs> yes. Save me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, though. I mean, like, when you can actually find what you want. You know, for me, that epiphany moment was when I was in Iraq, you know, and coming back from this super crazy daily experience in a war zone to, to going back to school and, like, I mean, that's just, like, completely stopping everything and then turning back to writing because it was the one thing that I really could feel passionate about and could see how story really helps people, you know, and, and to, they can help them get through things, they help them sort out their ideas, and it can also just be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I totally get that, you know, like when you actually find what it is that you care about, yeah, then things just start to click. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I always found that it's it's sort of, <clears throat> you'll, I'll, I'll go, you can go off in one direction and you think, you know, you'll get, you'll get stuck or it just seems more draining than it should be. And you're like, man, why, why, am, I, why am I finding this is taking so much out of me? And then when you start doing something that maybe you're, you're meant to do, and it just comes so easily, and, and you think, oh, so it wasn't just because I just found everything <laughs> difficult <laughs> or unenjoyable. It's that I wasn't really doing the right thing. And, yeah, I think it's, it's really amazing to, to find that. Yeah. So now you've found that right thing. Um, mm -hmm. And we're talking about development editing 
and on the show today. So let's say someone approaches you with it. What does that look like? You know, what what are you diving in and doing with an author right away on on their on their work? Right. So I'm first looking at um, the you know thirty thousand foot level um, of what's the big structure of the story. And you guys talked about that in the um, when you did that series on um, on the different. Um, the seven basic plots. We actually have a support group where we uh, go to... <laughs> it's a very traumatic experience, those seven shows. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that, because I really enjoyed them. Um, uh, but so you're just looking at the, you know, the, the very big structure of the whole story. And so... Um, and. And how that looks like that's going to depend on what the what the author wants to do with the book. What are they aiming for? You know, um, who are they trying to reach? And all of that is actually baked into the bigger structure and the smaller structure um, of. So I'm a big, big, big fan of the Story Grid by Sean Coyne, um, and he, you know, like he talks about how the um, the big structure, it you know has that you have the um, the beginning hook, the middle build, and the ending payoff. So those are the three big things, and that you have those within each act, as well as each sequence of scenes, and in each scene. And so the whole thing is kind of like a fractal, mm -hmm. um, where the bigger structure. Um, it, you know, kind of mirrors the smaller structure. And so whatever is more challenging or needs more work, you can focus on the one that's going well and then use that sort of extrapolate out. Um, and so I could talk about structure all day. I'm kind of obsessed with it. Um, I, I love structure too. It's so much fun to, to play in. And I think um, I, I'm not a fan of the person who sits down and just writes something they know and doesn't know where it's going. Like I really <laughs> like to be able to see how things are fit together. So yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and I think the worry is, of course, that it'll feel formulaic. Mm -hmm. um, but in my experience, you know, you have the same story told over and over again. You're just adding different elements and doing it a little differently. There was one time in college where I watched three movies in all in a weekend, and it was um, it was Hamlet. No, 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 yeah, it was Hamlet. It was um, Strange Brew, and it was Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, <laughs> And it was like after watching those three movies, I realized they were all the same movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, like that that Strange Brew. Strangely enough, um, I don't know, Peter. Are you familiar with Strange Brew? I'm not. No, no, I've not not heard of that. It's a movie with um, from the um, the 80s, I think, late 80s, mm -hmm. um, and. Um, the where you have these two Canadian guys who are um, they drink a lot of beer and stuff, um, and they're kind of silly, almost like Beavis and Butthead, um, which is another 
Ah, too many references. Ah, but basically, the you know, you have these three movies that were very different, but they were all telling the same story, and it was like, oh, wow, you know, like, light bulb moment in that it's all the same story, really, and it's what we bring to it and how we do it and the other choices that we make. Um, and then the other thing I think about structure and why it's not formulaic is how you can, how structure actually gives you great freedom. You have these kind of strong con constraints, but within it you have lots of room to roam and to make your story your own. It's, it's almost like... <clears throat> If, if if you if you have that freedom, it's it's too much almost, and you can you can get lost in a tangent, or you can you can do yourself a disservice. Whereas when you've got that 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 guideline, it's kind of like you can get to where you're going more. It's it's more enabled, a more enabled process. Because mm -hmm. yeah, because I I find that I've tried like writing without a structure, and very much sort of getting just caught up following one thread. And lo losing all the others, and losing my place, and I think it is amazing how how creative um, a guideline can make you, which seems quite counterintuitive, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, I mean, sonnets are fairly uh, creative, aren't they? I mean. <laughs> Like having to work with you have these constraints and then you work within it and that's you know that's what genres are too I think it's you know this, these constraints this is what this audience is expecting and so you need to deliver that with your own special sauce. Well, yeah, that's, you know the tone that the author brings to the story is completely different than anyone else. I mean, you could give the same formulaic um, character problem in a place to. 10 different authors and you will arrive even if you give them the same structure you will arrive at 10 very different stories right yeah yeah for sure and yeah I think that uh, it's you know point of view can change it and the the tense that you use whether you use past tense or present tense will change how the story feels and your sort of your psychic distance from the characters will change that and so there the possibilities are you know are endless as they say <laughs> um, but i get like i get overwhelmed if i don't have a structure then i'm just like you know kind of like a puddle on the floor. It just, you know, just spreads out and doesn't, you know, isn't like helping anybody. with no skeleton. <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, but like in a glass that provides structure, then you have some, um, you know, it can be useful. Yeah. So, so let's say, Leslie, that uh, someone has never used developmental editing before. They're coming to you for the first time. What what do you like to have more? Something that uh, you know they've gone through their draft several times is a very rough draft. You know, just at the beginning stages. Maybe it's just a beginning stage where they've just got the very ideas of the story put together. What's what's your best one that you like to work with? What when should people start looking to do developmental editing? Um, yeah, different people do it differently. I mm -hmm. prefer to work with an actual manuscript um, because there are other points that I make, you know, as I'm going through. And there are, you know, there, you want certain, um, you want the scenes, you need the scenes and you need the, you don't need it. 
you can do a developmental edit. I just finished a developmental edit yesterday that was on a book and I was basically doing it from the outline and making suggestions um, about where to put things and that kind of thing. But I really prefer to have the manuscript in front of me and that way I can um, look at the scene structure as well and look at, and I like to, I'm really good at catching things um, which often are caught in the proofreading stage, you know, like, well, they, they're heading to this place and they're going to drive um, about, you know, it's a, like the actual distance is about 100 miles, but then um, they're driving for nine hours or, you know, things like that, that, oh, you know, this, I'm having a hard time thinking of other examples, but just things like that that you catch early on. So, and they're not a big deal, but you want to just kind of, it's smaller things, but catching those really helps too. And, oh. Oh, I think, Peter, we've lost your microphone. You on still? You got me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so is it um, like quite a comprehensive um, process, really? Because you're looking at sort of like a a large overall structure, but then you're also picking up on um, the the smaller things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, that it's really important for there to be you know, within a scene, it's really important for something to happen. You don't want a scene where somebody's just sitting thinking about stuff, you know. <laughs> um, you do, I mean, there there should be time for reflection and, you know, like there's increases and decreases in the tension um, in the story, but, um, but a, a spot where somebody is just sitting and thinking um, where nothing's really happening doesn't, you know, there's no conflict in that. And so things like that I want to pick up on and I want to comment on. And like maybe you want to, how can you add a little conflict here? How can something turn? That's a big, a big thing that Sean Coyne talks about is that, you know, is a scene should turn. Um, otherwise, it's just kind of what he calls it, shoe leather. Um, and um, that... Yeah, so the, like you're doing something, like something has happened. The the protagonist or the the point of view character, at any rate, in the scene has either you know is either closer to or farther away from their goal. That's another uh, interesting commonality with with the sonnet <laughs> having a, having the turn towards the end. <laughs> I think that's a that's a useful takeaway. Is there anything sort of that you come across quite often? So, for example. Um, like conflict or not having this this turn is is this something that you do encounter quite often? Yeah, I think um, that there. Yeah, there are a lot of um, there's like throat clearing or um, times where people the places where people are still figuring out the story and they're kind of um, they're writing about the story and you know even though. Um, you know, they've, they've finished this writing the story, but there are these points where they're, you know, they're not quite clear maybe themselves about what's going on. And so it doesn't come across um, in the, on the, you know, on the page. And then I think another thing that happens in, is that we have, you know, we have an idea in our heads about what we want the story to be. And we're so familiar with it that, we um, 
we're using um, I think the term is confabulation where we're we kind of fill in the gaps for ourselves um, but they're not actually those little those pieces of the story are not in the um, are not in the manuscript and so you know pointing that out there's you know there's something missing here I can't quite get from um, oh I remember there was a scene um, recently where there was a turn but it was so sudden and there was no there it felt like there was no justification for the turn and so things like that that you want to make sure are in there yeah that's uh that's one that really is you know that I find it's also quite difficult for some of the students that I'm working with you know to try to make sure that they are telling a story that uh, that you're cutting the the uninteresting parts out like we I talk a lot about if you watch because I, I think you know that there's as readers you know decreases as video comes up I often talk a lot about movies because it's stories that people can relate to because they've all seen it but mm -hmm. At any point, you know, when you watch a movie, you know, the majority of the time, nothing is so good guys have to go do something. This is the action taking place. We don't watch the plane ride going through. We don't watch the car ride going through. We don't watch them sit down and have breakfast in between, you know, like that in-between stuff. We just cut it out and we move to the next scene, you know, trying to get that idea that you don't have to tell that sequentially and stay in camera right on their shoulder the whole time as you're going through this story. Right, right. We see a lot of um, of st what we call stage directions, where this person lifted the paper and then moved it and then put it down and then you know started writing and those kinds of things. And I think um, part of that is um, is from watching movies, and I think part of it is also from you know like that's another layer of editing is um, which details do you need to show which details support the story and which details are just well if I were writing to my mom I might say well we did this and we did that you know but I'm not necessarily telling her a story I'm telling her what happened but I'm not necessarily telling her a story I you know and I think that um, well for me one of the things that's been strongest for myself you know is, is learning to write short stories better because that short story, you know, you cut out every word matters. When you're trying to do 3,500 words or 1,500 words, every single word needs to matter. You know, there's no time for fluff. There's no time for unimportant things. <laughs> so, um, so moving along with that, then. So you you've you've got that. You you're giving them some some notes on on what to do. What are the what are the things? So let's say that this person's doing this on their own. You know, and what are some of those big red flags that they should be looking for? We already know. You know, if, if the scene isn't moving forward, we've got that one. What are some other really big red flags that a person could look for in their own work? Um, yeah. So scenes that aren't going anywhere, and then I would also look for um, you know. Is there is there a goal? You know, is the point does the point of view character in the scene have a goal, and are they going after that? And are there enough obstacles in uh, in the way? So, you know, a story where everything works out, you know, everything the character tries works out really well for them. That's um, boy, that's the way I like life to go. But that's not how my stories. I want my stories to go. I want the um, 
I want the character, you know. I mean, I like the characters to be tortured, you know, which is <laughs> it's kind of unkind, but since they're fictional, it's okay. Um, and um, yeah, just to make sure that it's not it's not just easy breezy. They have to have some serious setbacks as they go along. Pile on the problems, you know. That's, I think that's what, one of the most important reasons why you should know your characters so well, what they like and dislike, because then you can hurt them harder. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> I love there's a there's an exercise I think it's from maybe I can't remember who so I'm not going to say um, but uh, that where you put your character in a really tough situation and then you write the character out of it you know you get them out of it and then anything that you relied upon anything that you used in getting the character out then you have you take that away and you write the scene again without without the means that the character you <laughs> that you use to help the character out of it um, and I like that because I think that um, you know the first iteration of a scene is often for me at least in my experience that it is um, the it's just the bare bones you know it's not the it's not the real rich. Um, part of the story that I want to tell. I have to kind of do more versions and toss out the early versions just so that I can get down to the meat of it, so to speak. Do you often find, um, you, you mentioned before sort of um, writers knowing, for example, who the target audience is, who, you know, who it's aimed at, what the, what the goals of the characters are. Do you, do you ever find you, um, people haven't got this brief when they started, you know, they haven't kind of sat down and, and considered these things. Because um, obviously, like, I, I think that's really useful, um, considering all this stuff, just to, to make sure you're, <laughs> you're headed in the right direction. And do you find that, like, it's quite common um, not to do that? Yeah, I think that, um, I think most people, when, you know, when they start out, and I'm thinking of, like, my short stories that I wrote, a long time ago, I certainly didn't have an audience in mind. I had in mind um, getting some words on the page, and I think I'm, you know, I think I'm working stuff out in my, you know, in my early stories, just working stuff out and not thinking about that. And um, you want to tell the story that's in you. You know, you don't want to tell somebody else's story necessarily but what you want to do is consider you know who are the people who would be interested and who or inspired or entertained by what you have to write because that will help you I mean I mean let's face it like we we love writing and that's really fun but gosh it's really nice when writing can um, also um, buy your groceries and <laughs> so um, so you know we have to we want to be artists when we're creating but we also want to have in mind you know like who is this for and who might be you know who might be buying it and then it helps you make editorial decisions to a certain extent because you're you know um, if I were writing romance like I would not um, you know you can, you need you know you need those um, conventions that a romance author or a romance reader is looking for like you need to include those so if you're writing a romance then 
you know you want to think about what does the typical romance reader want and what do they expect and what are they willing to live with you know like what how can you get creative with it but what but you wanna again it's you know it's structure it's it's um giving yourself some constraints to write with but yeah you know understanding your genre is so important you know like at least if you have just that basic idea of of the genre that you're going for that you can actually read in that genre understand that genre um, the first novel I wrote I thought for quite a while this is probably a romance and so I, I bought books on writing romance and I quickly found out that it was not a romance because there are so many rules in different types of romances you know and I think there was 20 different types of romance in this book and each of them had these long set of structural rules you know and I was like nope it doesn't fit in any of this. <laughs> so, so yeah, so trying to understand that and then reading from that so you can grab what is working for other people is a fantastic way to start. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, um, we were, we were talk, you were talking before about how um, you, you saw these three films and they were all the same, um, all the, the same story or structure. I heard the other day that apparently um, Bridget Jones's diary <laughs> Is uh, a modern day Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. The clues in the the name of the character is Darcy, and that's kind of like a, a nod um, to to that structure. And mm -hmm. uh, it just goes to show how you're using the same structure. And I mean, obviously, that's quite a drastic <laughs> example of uh, time and place. Um, but it comes out with a completely different story. But how that you know these these timeless structures um, work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I for me that like stories are how we make sense of the world, mm -hmm. and that that you know that they have a sort of um, primal um, component. You know, I mean, well, the archetypal stories, right? Like we 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 can we know when a story doesn't work. We don't necessarily know why, but we kind of know that it doesn't work, and um, and I think that all goes back to really our you know, our ancestral um, need to make sense of this world that doesn't make sense. And um, and we haven't lost that even though scientifically we have a greater understanding of how the world works. Yeah, and yet we still want to explain it in terms that we can accept and understand in our own life. Um, traveling to different parts of the world, I and mean, that's one of the things that I realized right up front that's why story is powerful because the stories that one person has on one side of the world are different than another person's and then it totally changes how they view the world and set up um, all of their belief systems it's really it's fascinating how we do this <laughs> yeah yeah I agree yeah I, I spent two years um, when I first started uh, doing publishing work you know I spent about two years researching and trying to figure out how to get people to read and why it is they read and there's just so much fascinating information out there and, and how we really are um, I think just recently another book came out called Wired for Story you know that we really are we are connected to story and um, just like you're if you're a native speaker you know you don't understand necessarily all the rules of your language but you understand what works and doesn't it's the same thing for us you know we're all intuitively storytellers and so, yeah, just like you're saying, we understand what's not working and what does work. And if we can have good people like you, you know, developmental editors to help us understand the rules of the story, to understand what's not working and to fix it so that we can actually engage an audience and find a platform for our own work. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> so no. I got it. Sorry, I got into teacher mode there for a moment. I think. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. You, you got uh, me. <laughs> I need to go grab my jacket with the elbow pads on because I'm going to oh, do that. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. You know, I mean, I think um, back to, um, like, when I was writing some early stories and how um, how they were, you know, like, they, like, you know, teenage angst and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that, you know, just struggling to make sense of things and to to cope and that it's, um, yeah, and I just, I, like, I'm working on, lately I've been um, starting to read outside of my comfort zone, um, and it's really interesting, so I'm reading um, a horror story right now, and it's not, like, that's not me, I like, you know, <laughs> I like cozy British mysteries and fantasy and uh, and a little steampunk, um, but I'm I'm giving this a try because I want to kind of open up to other experiences and explore those kind of that darker terrain. That's very cool. It's very cool. Well, we are coming close to the end of our show, so let's. Uh, Peter, do you have anything else that you want to wrap up with? Um, I really wouldn't want to take away from from that um, amazing finish <laughs> that you just gave. <laughs> so, you know, I think you I think you summed it up really succinctly there. <laughs> um, Leslie, uh, tell us tell our viewers. Oh, goodness, can we just like you know just pause there? Tell us where we can find out more about you, and if people want to work directly with you, how they can get in contact. Okay. Um, yes. So uh, my our website. Alyssa and my website is uh, writership.org and um, I'm going to, I'll put the things that I talked about today I'll put on a page that is actually, will be writership.org slash book editor show so that, so anything I talk about right, that I mentioned, there'll be a link there and so there'll be a link to the editing and the podcast and um, any of the books that I mentioned too, so very cool, very cool. And you did mention uh, the book Story Grid. Is there any others that you would say that um, that are a real go-to that the author should have on their uh, have in their library? Um, can I do a little plug? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this book. So this is our um, Alyssa and I have uh, have a um, a s series of four books about how to go from having an idea or the thought I want to write a book to all the way through um, uh, revision and um, and publishing and the first one has come out and that's called Dreamtime Writership Anchor One and it has um, it's like a 90 day journey through what you need to do and know before you write your novel um, which comes before editing obviously um, but it's a very important step too and you can make your there are things you can do in that process um, that will help your editing be easier excellent well definitely put a link to that and we'll mention it as well that sounds really cool that sounds um, <laughs> <laughs> well Leslie thank you so much uh, for being on the show with us 
Um, and to our listeners, if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, a plus on Google, or a like on YouTube. If you're an editor who'd like to be a guest on the show or an author who'd like us to edit part of your work live on air, stop by thebookeditorshow.com and drop us an email. I'm Clark Chamberlain, and for my co-host Peter Turley, keep writing, keep learning, and build a better book. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for more. Please visit thebookeditorshow.com for show notes, links to guests, books and extras, and for information on how to be a guest on the show.